HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. What is this? Why are you clapping? I'm applauding you on qualifying for the Pro Tour. I thought we were. our topic was going to be our top eight cards. <laughs> I literally no. prepared top eight cards we for this. We can't talk about top eight cards. We have to talk about you qualifying for the I was going to talk about how Kurt Ape is my favorite card of all time. No, no one, one would have wants ever, to hear about Kurt No one would have guessed People Kurt People want to hear about Atarka, Dragonlord Atarka, and Dragonlord Drum- Dromica. I, they haven't seen enough articles because I mean, in the last, it's only Wednesday. It's only Wednesday. There's only been six or something. There's still 15 years ahead of you, people. <laughs> I'm like, wow. There's been six. It's been two days. So, um, most of them are not very accurate. <laughs> oh, really? People just writing about the deck? Yeah, they're just like, well, then you can see this deck does this and this. Like, actually, the main thing that I would say is my deck is not soft to red. Right. I thought red was going to be the second most popular archetype. I mean, you tested the deck too. I, 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 in testing online, never lost to the following decks. Red, Jeskai Tokens, and Esper. I think I must have lost to red at some point because I played so much. But it was, an, it I was, never a, even, it was I a good ne- match. I never even played sideboarded games. Really? Well, I guess I did play sideboarded games, but I, I don't think I lost in game one. So, like, if they... If they go, for, so when I played in the tournament, I lost the die roll to all my red opponents, and I didn't know any of them were red, okay? So that's like a bad recipe when your first play is a dissolve. I had to dissolve Hammerhand twice as like, Ooh. like literally dissolving Hammerhand. Might be in my top eight cards, Hammerhand. Being cast on a heroic creature. Yeah. I had to do that twice. I mean, like, it, I just, it's just, you know, the hands you keep are different, you know? The hands you keep, the hammer hands you keep, yeah, whatever. So the hook hands. <laughs> Anywho, um, yeah, I mean, but then I played five sideboarded games against red decks. In one game, I made a mistake, and I lost the match because of it. I mean, I might have lost anyway, but I certainly lost the match because of approximate mistake I made in the game. So I had this draw where I was like, Mulligan to six, had an Omen Speaker in my opening hand, as well as a Master of Waves. The Omen Speaker got Lightning Strike. I cast another Omen Speaker, which I drew, which showed me a ma- another Master of Waves on top of my library. I'm like, oh, sweet. I have a Temple here. I'm going to go Omen Speaker, Master, Master. Probably can't lose. This is against Travis, right? It's against Travis, yeah. And the other card on the top was an Ojitai that I couldn't cast. Okay? So, like, I should have pushed it, because I now know what my next two land draw- my next two draws are going to be. I was never going to have the mana to cast this Ojitai the way I set it up. So Travis drew only Goblin Rabble Masters and Atarka's commands. A, one lightning strike to kill my first Omen Speaker, which who knows if the Omen Speaker was alive when I cast the first Master, I might have still won anyway, right? But like, he just, the Atarka's commands made his stupid goblins big enough to not <laughs> die in combat. So like, even though I drew two Masters, I ended up losing. Yeah. So I don't know, like I wasn't dead after like his third Rabble Master and second Atarka's command or whatever. So I was just like, Somehow. I was just like, oh, just slam this Ojitai. And Travis is like, you don't have the mana to cast that. And I'm like, oh boy. And I'm like, this is, and I look at my hand and there's like two Ojitais in it. This is not going to be good. I, I actually talked to Travis for my column this week. Oh yeah? Yeah. I was, I was kind of, I like, I love the idea that you guys meet in round one and then you both go on to qualify for the Pro Tour. So Jack Stanton's Utah list of who he wanted to be qualified was Travis, myself, Chris Pakula and Aaron Muranaka, 
And he got half of it, right? You know, and, you know, we both ended up qualifying. Uh, I forget the I forget the name of the, the teamer player who played in the fifth round. Spencer. Spencer. Spencer Hayward, right? Or Spencer. Well, there were two Spencers in the top eight. Right. Uh, the Spencer who I played in the Swiss, who also ended up qualifying, is also a fellow podcaster. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Constructed criticism or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, and I guess a, a friend of KYT, of course, right. our, our benefactor. K- KYT is actually going to be playtesting for the Pro Tour with Spencer. Travis. With Travis. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's like, I was like, oh, you know, talking to Travis, I was like, I don't really know anything about you. Do you have any Pro Tour experience? He's like, I've played in four Pro Tours or whatever. Or maybe this is his fourth Pro Tour. But his first Pro Tour is Chicago 2003. Any top 16s? Yeah. Do you know how insane the top eight for that Pro Tour is? I do. Kai Buda and John Finkel were both in that top eight, uh, as well as was Mike Turian in that. Top eight? Uh, yeah, Nikolai Herzog. Yeah, it was an insane top eight. It's, it's like, like, it's like five one of the Hall of Famers, yeah, right? Yeah, Brahm is in that top eight. It's it's like one of the all-time great top eights. It's like it's on the short list of all-time top eights. Chicago 2001, I think, is the all-time best one. Chicago 2001 has also got a lot of Hall of Famers. Like, the worst player in that top eight is a two-time Canadian national champion. Yeah. Like, that's the worst player in it, right? The next worst player is a multiple Pro Tour and Masters champion. Like, that's the second worst player in the top eight has won another Pro Tour. Right. Has won a Grand Prix, a Pro Tour, and a Masters. Yes. Right, you're talking about Mikey P. Mikey P, yeah. And then every other player in the top eight is a Hall of Famer. So... Yeah, pretty good top eight. Yeah, pretty good top eight. Chicago historically has done well. Well, including the Dragon Master, who's won two Pro Tours. Yeah. Kai, who's won five Pro Tours. Zvi. John, who's won two Pro Tours. Zvi, who's won a Pro Tour. Rob Doherty, who's won a Pro Tour. Yeah. That's the rest of the top eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess, I mean, Mikey B's really on the short list having only won a Pro Tour Masters and Grand Prix. (laughs) I mean, I mean, Kipo's got two Pro Tour wins. We, we recently discovered that uh, Mikey P was the oldest player to win a Pro Tour. Yeah? At the time, you know, at his How age. old was he? He was 35 when he won LA. Uh, record's going to be broken in just a few <laughs> months. There you go. I was going to say, you you and Travis are, are both probably in the running for that. Um, so, I, I, I think it's less interesting to talk about the deck that I played last weekend, which, like, I think people are, they got to be burned out on it already. Like, when Dave Williams and Kenji Samura are just posting their results with it every round now, which are good results. By are the way. they? Oh, yeah, D. Will goes up and, like, because, like, Tom Martell I, uh, <laughs> was like, blah, blah, blah. I can't see how this deck wins <laughs> against Esper. And then, and then, like, about an hour later, he's like, well, I can see how it wins against old Esper, but not our new secret <laughs> Esper from Canada that nobody's met yet. And then he's played it, right? He's like, well, I was also surprised how it doesn't lose any sideboarded games either. That was the one. That was the one. It's like, what really surprised me is we also never lost any sideboarded games. But no, I'm not, not just ripping on Tom. It's just like he said that he said that uh, I, was, I was totally ripping on. Tom. Yeah. So, but he makes like a whatever a, a tongue-in-cheek comment. Yeah. You know, he's, he t- kind of takes it back later. He's like, it's a tongue-in-cheek comment. Fine. But but Dave Williams is like, I'm 14 and one in cues right now. I only lost to a heroic deck. And I'll tell you, I did not prepare for heroic at all. Right. I have no cards that are good against heroic. What would you What would you <laughs> even play against heroic? I mean, you just need more. I had a long conversation with Patrick about this, and our solution was you would have to devote so many cards to a deck that's just not popular. Just don't do well, it. It's got to be more popular this week after so after it won the open. I think right? there's crossover cards, so we have a lot of cards now against Abzan Aggro, and some of those cards are good against heroic, like because they're creatures. But I think the fundamental problems with the games that you lose to Abzan Agro and 
the fundamental problems you have with heroic are are probably not easily solved by this deck, right? Like nobody's invincible to every matchup. And right. <clears throat> if I had to pick a deck that I would be bad against, I'm happy to be bad against heroic. Whether sure. whether it won the open or not, that deck gets little to no respect from the average player. Do you, but do you think that will it be true? Do, no do you think that will be true this weekend? Yet Tom Ross has been one of the best players in the world for quite some time, saying that Heroic was the best deck for quite some time, and nobody plays it. I mean, Ross Miriam won with it, but, like, just nobody plays it. it th also, that deck is not very good against Abzan Aggro. Okay. <clears throat> That's a problem, right? Like, the cards Lightning Strike, Draconic Roar, and Bile Blight are very bad for Heroic. Like, if they can get through a Heroic counter on most of the creatures and get a two-for-one, if not greater than two-for-one, if you consider the damage on... Draconic Roar being a card, or consider a potential actual three-for-one with creatures with a Bile Blight. The deck is soft to fast interactive cards. Unfortunately, the deck that I played doesn't have any of those. <laughs> like, our fast interactive card is Encase and Ice. Right. So unless there's, and like, <laughs> two, two Perilous Vaults, or were there any Perilous Vaults? There are two main, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, like, we just don't have any. Like, our fastest play is to hopefully accelerate out an Icefall region or something. All right, so give me, here, here's a question. Yeah. And this is something I've been wanting to ask because you, you know, you shipped me the list. I played it a bunch online. I was yeah. just like, I'm just gonna load it. Yeah. I'm just gonna play it. I'm not even gonna look before I play it. And there's like main deck in case and ice. Yeah. And you know, obviously that was the name of your article, just in case. Yeah. But like historically, has there been a, a deck that has like main deck sideboard cards? Like that's like, like Napster, which had like, main deck Parish and main it, deck Massacre. Yeah, but and that main also, deck but that had tutors. That had tutors, which you don't really have in this deck. You have you have some card drawing, but even by your own admission, that card drawing was kind of like kind of like the movie where you need to get away from the bad guy and you put the key in the ignition, but you zh, 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 come on! Zh, 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 zh. Yeah, yeah, I mean our deck really just wants to cast like any cards it can cast for the first couple of turns. It doesn't matter which ones. You could be like Voyages and Solmgar Scorn, Nullify, you know, in case whichever ones it can cast, doesn't matter. Just like get some cards but, out but of your my, hand, my, interact my, with the opponent, and then just start slamming dragons. My question, and I think my question is just like, isn't it, what is the incentive to play main deck in case over say two main deck Omen speakers? So you don't want to play Omen speaker because it turns on the opponent's bile blight. Okay. So like right now, the way that we're playing, that opponent has a, a lot of cards that don't do anything. Right? You have like the only target you have for ultimate price is like Icefall Regent and it will cost them four mana to cast it. Sure. Which nobody wants to do, right? right. Um, <clears throat> like there's like no good targets for a lot of these cards. Like you could cast three Bile Blights against a Dragon Lord Dramaka if you wanted to. I mean, you On could do turn. that. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I was in a playtest game where my, you know, my opponent literally spent a creature and two Draconic Roars to kill my Dragon Lord Dramaka, which was actually almost broke even, right? All like, right. but we, that, we because have, I took six, but we, then I just cast another Dramaka. <laughs> we may have a new character to add to the top eight Magic roster. Yeah, and it's Pigeon Pants. Pigeon? It's a man who's got... He's covered in pigeons. He's covered in pigeons, and he specifically has, like, pigeon food, or, like, you know, which, a.k.a. crumbs, in his lap, and he's letting pigeons eat out of his lap. I don't want that character to be near me anymore <laughs> in any stories, but I see him, yes. The thing that's crazy about it is that there's someone willingly sitting on the same bench that Pigeon Pants is sitting on when there's so much open bench space here. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Like, pigeons... Are oh, touching the pigeons too, the other pigeon guy. Yeah, and then the pigeons are in the guy's hair. I don't really understand. Pigeons are disgusting. 
They're gross. They are, it's a cliche at this point, but rats with wings is very accurate. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm really glad that this is what you want to distract the podcast with, pigeon pants. Well, pigeon pants I just thought was, was worth Well, knowing. anyway, for main deck and case and ice, it's slot efficient because it gets us pips for our Master of Waves and sideboarded games without consuming additional sideboard space. And the thing is that it actually has text against what I thought would be one of the most common decks, which was red aggro. Okay. And then also has text against what is our worst matchup, other than, I guess, Bant Heroic, which is Abzan aggro. Like, my deck is not particularly good against Abzan aggro. I think I would conservatively give them a 60% matchup in game one. And, like, if I'm playing against Andrew Boswell, maybe it's 80%, right? Sure. Like, it's just not a good matchup. And, and Case and Ice gives us a lot of a lot of text there, you know. <clears throat> if we draw the right half of our deck, we can go, like, Counterspell, Counterspell, and Case, Icefall region, and maybe win. But if you, you need to have something that will deal with, like, the Anafensa that they snuck under your Counterspell wall or something, right? Their guys hit very, very hard yeah, for sure. a very small amount of mana. So... So main deck. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, the, the, the primary decks, like, think about what decks are there that doesn't have any text. Bant Heroic, no text. But even if your opponent's playing, like, red-green dragons, it's awesome against red-green dragons. Right. That card's fantastic. And the thing is that if I buy time by doing that and I have, like, two counter spells, he's actually on back foot. Like, right, right. He gets a bunch of material, but I have Dramica. What's he really going to do? Right. How good were the nullifies? Um, they were full-on fine. Yeah. In fact, one of them led to a play mistake on my part because it was too good. <laughs> so, like, I'm crushing my Esper opponent in top eight, and I greedily leave up Haven of the Spirit Dragon even though I already have Dramica in play. But I very clearly should leave up four blue sources and and uh, so you can count and Haven. No, so no, sorry, I left up Crucible. I should definitely leave up four island, uh, you know, some kind of islands, right? Temples or whatever, and Haven is what I should leave up. But instead, I leave up Haven and Crucible and only three blue. So then he casts Silimgar the Drifting Death on his turn. So then I I have to counterspell it, otherwise it's going to block my Dramica next turn. <laughs> So then I have to disdainful stroke it. And after that, like, you could hear all the onlookers groaning when I disdainful stroke this, this uh, Solengar the Drifting Death. They're all like, why didn't you uh, why didn't you nullify it? I'm like, because I tapped wrong. If I nullified it and he had a backup card, like an Ashiok, I wouldn't have been able to, to, uh, to dissolve it. Like, it was just very bad. No, nullify was fine. Just full on fine. You just want to have cards you can cast on turn two. And, like, it's actually really good against decks like Esper Dragons, really good against Red Green Dragons, decks that have powerful threats. Although there was a comical situation against Spencer where by every, by every vector of a game of Magic, I should be crushing him, right? Like, the best thing he does this game is successfully negate my Dragonlord's prerogative because I did not draw a dragon this game. But then, like, he's tapped out, and I play an Ugin that destroys his, like, six cards, right? But then he just draws a Crater's Claw and kills my Ugin. At the end of the game, the last two cards he casts are, are Sarkin the Dragon Slayer and Drag. Was it Sarkin? I'm broken. Sorry. Yeah. And Lethal Crater's Claw to my face, and my hand is nullify Solemgar Scorn. Solemgar Scorn has very little text on like turn ten. You're not yeah, yeah. Dragon. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you can't nullify a Planeswalker. All right. I, I, uh, we'll, we'll do top eight cards. Okay. But I do have a, I have a question for you from a from Twitter. So someone asked me, uh, Ken Beer, and he wanted to know why none of the top decks are playing a certain card. And just, so his question was about Clever Impersonator. 
That's the clone, but it can be a clone for a creature or a planeswalker? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Like, where where does where would that card fit? Like why why is a card like that not um not played? Uh my first instinct is that it doesn't seem very good. Like okay, I mean, what, what do you want to cleverly impersonate? Well, I mean his suggestion was cleverly impersonating um, you know, Dragon Lords, for example. Or was it Target? So you may have so it's two UU for a shapeshifter creature. It's a zero zero, and you may have clever impersonator enter the battlefield as a copy of any non-land permanent on the battlefield. <clears throat> so it can be a planeswalker, it can be an enchantment, it could be another in case of ice if you need it to be. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. I think that like it's weird it's weirdly conditional, right? Like if your opponent has Dragonlord Silengar, like you can get a Dragonlord Silengar and then steal their Dragonlord Silengar and then eat their Dragonlord Silengar. Yes. That's kind of cool. Yes. But there are like a lot of less conditional ways to deal with a card like that. Yes. Like it's super conditional. Like let's say my opponent has Ashiok, for example. I might lose to his Ashiok. Right. I have just. What am I going to do? Make my own Ashiok and then start Ashioking him? Like. <clears throat> Like, like to me, the, to I me, feel the, like you're always behind. Like, if I make Ugin, he just has a bigger Ugin than right. I do. To me, the reason that this card hasn't seen play is basically you have a deck that has a plan, and that you you have cards that you want to enact. This is a card that is like playing off of your opponent's plan, and you don't really have any sense of whether, like, what what, what would this card do against heroic, for example? Yeah, or like if I'm back foot, right? Like, let's say I'm playing it's Abs and Aggro, and they come out with like. Warden of the First Tree, Rakshasha, Death Dealer, and Offenza is their first three turns, right? They're not playing any more cards. They're just going to no, put no. counters on Warden of the First Tree and pumping Rakshasha, Death Dealer if I'm foolish enough to try to block, right? Right, right. Right? Or they're just going to hold back removal, I'm sorry, hold back mana for Valorous Stance or Heroes Downfall or Abzan Charm or Dramica's Command. I'm just. If that's their draw, I'm just boned from every direction, right? Yeah. I mean, this card is not going to save me. You need, like, <laughs> you need some help. And casting a four-mana spell that doesn't even trade with the board that they have already right. is just not... Right. So it's, it's dependent on what your opponent's doing, and it doesn't really answer what your opponent's doing. But it's too slow. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to pay four mana for, like, a card like this, like, a Whelming Wave would be better in that situation. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. It's just not, I don't know, it just doesn't do it for four mana, it just doesn't do enough, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, uh, I think I think the, the, the reality is it just, it doesn't help you catch up. The best it's going to do is give you, like, okay, you know, the, what's the best case scenario? You copy their Siege Rhino and you have your own Siege Rhino and they bounce. I mean, you gain three, that's really not bad. Yeah. I mean, but like, but I mean, if I'm taking my turn to do that, they're just going to like, Dramica's charm my guy and then like get a two for one on me, it's gonna be horrendous. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, I don't I don't I don't like that. Yeah, it's not a it's not a big enough play against like your opponent's star. And it's dependent on your opponent enacting their game plan. It also depends on how many turns I'm gonna play. If I if I thought that I could resolve a big four mana spell like that and I was worried about my opponent's permanence, I think that I would generally prefer to have Perilous Wolf anyway. Right. Right? Like yeah, yeah. So you want to do top eight cards, huh? Um, well, I actually want to talk about something else first. Oh, okay. While we're on the topic of my trip to Utah. 
what really this is is when did we start talking about going to like the southwest to play in oh god Year, years ago like 10 years ago or something yeah yeah well i did it and apparently it works <laughs> apparently this is a 100 percent non-failure rate so uh yeah i thought that was interesting where we, we're even your wife uh, Catherine was like very supportive and she's like you should not go to Philadelphia where there will be 80 people and basically regardless of player quality just be twice as hard to qualify just one more round you know yeah so I mean like cer- certainly seems like like the, the competition in Utah was as as, as, as steep as it's going to be anywhere but like the idea was that you just sought out a smaller tournament yeah just really just a smaller tournament um, you know, <clears throat> basically, if you're dividing four slots amongst 40 players, or just dividing four slots amongst 119 players, or something like they got in Chicago. Oh God, yeah. That's really horrible, right? It's horrible to go to that tournament, though, if you have the ability to to plan ahead, right? right. Obviously, not everyone has the ability to fly across the country in order to to play in a in a smaller tournament, but. If you do, I think that it's worth thinking about, right? Yeah. I mean, I already got ovations for, like, let's fly to Vancouver next time. I'm like, I'm flying to Vancouver for another reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many people were in Vancouver? Was that a very small tournament? I heard it was small, yeah. I uh, I heard Vancouver was the smallest in North America. I think Vancouver's a little far for me, right? Like, sure. But you're also talking about significant jet, jet lag situation at that point, sure. right? I can, I can actually tell you, like, the numbers. I have I have the numbers for I didn't realize the- until... Evan Irwin posted the interesting decks today that I had finished first in Utah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. But really, this is about, like, executing a plan. Like, I went through a couple of steps, and the steps I were, like, you know, get better at playing Magic, get get a good deck, win a PPTQ, practice a lot, you know, get a good deck, you know, put myself in the best position I can to try to win, play as best I can at the table, I made, like, two or three substantial mistakes in the tournament. I don't know if that's, like, good or bad for me. I mean, like, losing to Travis... Like, Travis could easily have beaten me. That's not... I'm not saying that I would have beaten Travis and I didn't make the mistake. But I certainly put myself in a position where it would be harder to win. So how do you... How do you? How did you manage to not go on just full-blown monkey tail I had after no, losing round one? I had no time. I was up against, like, another Atarka Red deck a second later. Standing um, also, like... It's just reps, right? Like, I played this matchup a hundred times, and I knew how to play it, right? Like, I, if anything, I was just, I was overconfident. Not not, not that, like, I had had a mental lapse because of some break in my mental, I was overconfident. It's like I saw the cards that I, I was like, oh, I'm just going to win now. Eventually, I'm going to get to a Dragon Lord situation, but I just didn't have a strong enough imagination. It wasn't, monkey tilt or not, like, my cards were going to be their cards, right? And I just sure. preserve my my ability to play. There's certainly scenarios where you could have lost any of your rounds if you're. That's not, true. If you're not like able to just, I mean, I I, I know it certainly can happen for me. Oh no, it's certainly true, right? You you have a mental breakdown, and I, I didn't have a lot of those games where like you're in a puzzle situation where like three weeks later you look back and like, oh shoot, if only I'd played the correct sequence, you know, I would have won. That's, That's the, the worst, worst right? Yeah. Um, I didn't have any of those, right? So most of my matches were pretty straightforward. My opponent's decks, like, were not nuanced. Like, I knew what all their decks could do. The trickiest card I played against was Sarkin Unbroken. I asked for an oracle reading of the first Sarkin Unbroken I played against because 
I own four actually, but, right. <clears throat> but I just wanted to make sure I knew what they did. I just wanted to make sure I knew exactly what they did, you know? And um but like at the end of the day, I mulliganed a lot. Some of it was my deck's fault, some of it was my choice. But at the end of the day, my cards are so fabulously more powerful than my opponent's cards. Like you just can't compare the power level of my deck to the power level of any other decks in standard. I have like eleven dragon lords. <laughs> like, like the. Let me ask you a question, another yeah. question, just about just dragon lord wise, because I noticed this when I was playtesting the deck. Yeah. I certainly had an advantage playing a card people did not fully know. Yeah. And how how much do you do you leak anything week two with this deck in terms of? Or does it not matter? So, like, I had situations where it was clear, like, I'm playing against Jeskai Tokens, and I cast Dragonlord Dromica, and then you see them fiddling around for, the, Mana, for a minute, yeah. trying to cast, um, you know, the the, the, the token maker um, at, the, at the end of the turn. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh. And they could have cast it. Or, or Surak the Hunt Call. Yeah, flash creatures, or, like, I mean, sometimes you'll have somebody who tries to counterspell Dragonlord Dromica, I mean, oh, that's, that's fine, just like yeah. winning the lottery, but, you know. But, yeah, I think that that's going to leak a little bit this 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 week because the deck is so hyped, right? It's been a long time since somebody was just like, here's just the greatest deck of all time that you haven't seen. Like, if you look at the, if you look at the headline on Star City Games on Monday, Cedric literally put up, like, the truth hurts, but if you don't know this deck, you're already behind, right? And it was Monday. Right. So, like, the deck's super hyped. I think people know what some of the cards do now. Um, some pretty notable streamers were playing it this week who didn't know that the Dragonlord Dromoka in their own deck was uncounterable. <laughs> Lost games because of it. Like, well, I can't I can't play this into his open blue mana. Well, no, of actually, course that's not. That's the reason it's that's in the, the deck. That's the reason it's in the deck, okay? Uh, <laughs> we, won't, we won't name any particular names right. Um But, yeah, it's like, I mean, Kenji's, like, in love with it. I'll actually get into something on that in a second. Um, but, you know, people will misplay against the following cards. Icefall Regent, people don't know how to play against that card. Sure. I've had multiple people play, misplay against that card, both online and in the tournament. People misplay a lot against Dramica. Also, it's just this huge Baneslayer Angel, so, like, they don't know if they should attack. Right. So, like, that's that's a big deal. Um, but we're returning Kolagon to the deck now. But I didn't play Kolagon in Utah, but we're going to return Kolagon to the sideboard for two reasons. One of them is, it's just another good card against Asiok. So, uh, word on the street is, the black-blue players are going to try to just play a lot of Asiok's against this deck. That's good and bad. Like, if it's on turn three, unopposed, yeah, it'll, it's probably going to beat us, depending on what right. our draw is. But if it's not, if it's like any time after, turn, turn like three on a, I mean, turn three is a pretty scary. Like tap out, play this thing on turn three, uh, yeah, into I mean, like dissolve. I mean, did like eight well, counter spells. Well, in a sideboarded game, if they're going first, which is very likely because we probably won game one. Yeah. We have negate and Solomgar scorn. Anytime after turn three, we have negate Solomgar scorn and dissolve. Right. Right. It's just like you got to get it early, but but besides which, anytime in the mid game, if the opponent's doing something that relies on Planeswalker strength. They're just asking for it. Like, you're going to get... Like, that's how I won game one of my top eight match. My, I let my opponent resolve Ugin. I'm like, I'm like he's just going to give me this Ugin, right? So right. then I went Dramaka Solengar, and he conceded. Like, that's nothing against my opponent. Like, those are just the cards in his deck. Right. Like, he has to try to win somehow. So that's just kind of, that's just inevitability, right? Yeah, like, like, but you can't beat my deck this way. 
because Dramica's Silimgar is really, really powerful against decks with Planeswalkers. Like, you could easily be in a situation where your Ashiok has a ton of counters on it, and one of two things will happen. Either you're greedy and you're trying to get to like ultimate Ashiok or whatever, or you were like unlucky with the milling. We just go like some kind of Silimgar, whether it's like Silimgar with counter protection or Dramica Silimgar, take your Ashiok and then just blow it up. Right? There's, there's some really weird <coughs> magic that'll come at, come up in the wake of this where you're gonna have people who are like, okay, Dromica something, or Dromica go, and like, now you have your all your mana untapped to protect yeah. your Dromica, right, which is yep. a situation. But now they go Dromica, Dromica yeah. and then like kill your Dromica. Yeah. Like, that's gonna be a weird game. Yeah, you know, people are already asking me what to do in the mirror, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> was, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Wasn't something I planned for. <laughs> What? Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, I mean, you say we're obviously talking about Patrick, who, who, yeah. who built the deck with you. Um, is, are people playing this deck this week? Is there somewhere? I mean, they've got to like, be. I mean, like, I mean, you're not playing the deck anymore. I'm playing Modern this weekend. Also, if I were playing in a standard PPTQ this weekend. Where, where are you playing Modern? Montessi PPTQ. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize. Yeah. So, got to line them up. <laughs> so, if, if I were playing... I don't know what I'd play this weekend. Like, yeah, I was talking to someone today, and he yeah. was just like, you know, he's a friend of someone who qualified at one of the RTQs this yep. weekend. And he's like, oh, you know, my buddy would really love to figure out a way to defer to... And I'm like, yeah, who wouldn't, like, if you're going to, like, start your season off, like, you definitely want to start your season off <coughs> in Milwaukee as opposed to Vancouver, right? Like, Milwaukee's the much better... When to start it? Sorry, like, start it, like, if you're going to string some stuff together, you want to string it together starting at Pro Tour 1. Like, doing it at Pro Tour last is not as ideal. I don't know. I'm just grateful. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying you You don't care. You're going to you're gonna crush this Pro Tour. I think I'm, I mean, I, I can't be like, oh, I think I'm going to do well. But I, I've just been focusing on different parts of my game. Yeah. And I think that it's, I think that it's bearing some fruit. And the thing that makes look, me happy, look, you, though, is I still enough, love me. You've played enough. You've played long enough. That like there's no there's no reason for you to go to a pro tour and we've we've actually There's got a pogo, a pogo stick. stick. Yeah. That's that's a new one. The helicopter's not <laughs> unprecedented. Is Batman in the helicopter? No, it's the motorcycle guy. He got upgraded. He got himself a helicopter. Can't believe there's a pogo stick kid. <laughs> but anyway, no, I mean like a, a pogo stick kid nearly died, so I, I, the collected me, wishes of topping magic listeners nearly uh, affected it. I'm just like I've been saying I've just been focusing on different parts of my game, but at the end of the day, I really did just qualify with a crazy ass brew. <laughs> no one else would have been would have, would have been willing to play if I gave it to them the day before the tournament, well, right? You have you have to look at Adrian's success as I mean, you know, Adrian, Adrian is someone you know you would say he has comparables to you. Uh, you know, in terms of I think that Adrian is probably a far better player at the pro tour table than I am historically. I mean, just look at the just look at the finishes. Adrian has multiple Grand Prix top eights and like a tied for Pro Tour top eight that I don't have. Um, I think that I'm far better at some of the things that Adrian's good at, and but I there's no way I think Adrian is much better skilled than I am at the table. But but I, but at the same time, you have to feel like wow. Well, I, I I don't mean that this. this oh, like a return yeah, to the like ancient Adrian, school. Yeah, you're like wow. Adrian Adrian did well. Like I could do really well. Like I can. Like, you know, I never had that thought when he made top eight. Really? Not at all. I, I literally, like, the thing that I was thinking was like, oh, that's curious. Someone I know always does well at the pro tour. <laughs> uh, and, but for me, like, I just had to be like, I could just be the best player I can be. Right. You know, and 
I, there's lapses in my game, some of which are 20 years long. And if I can get better at some of those things, be more realistic about some things and still be true to the things that are good for me, then maybe that's a good mix. And also not to be real emotionally invested in my in in my individual game outcomes. Right. Like that's actually the thing I wanted to, to be most important for me flying out to, to Utah. Flying out, you know, taking like multiple days off, going to another state halfway, you know, two time zones over to play in a PPTQ. I'm sorry, to play in a RPTQ is a bit of a personal statement, right? And it's very easy if I hadn't done well to like raging or something like that. You know, I can have a hot temper sometimes. And I, I really just wanted to be like, look, I'm trying to make the best decisions. This is the best decision for me for my strategy. Whether the outcome of my decision bears fruit or not does not change whether my decision was right. I hope that when I go to Vancouver that I can be as sober if I, you know, don't do well or whatever. I mean, obviously put the best thing that I can into it and, you know, hope for the best and play the best I can. But, I mean, a heavy level of emotional involvement is not going to do me any favors. Now, these kids are so young. They think so fast. Now, I haven't played an approach tour in close to 10 years. Wow. Was, it, was the last one you played in the one we played in with McKenna? No. I played in Charleston and I oh, went you played 11 and 3. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played in like multiple pro tours that year, actually. Um, I remember I played that black-white deck. Why oh, did yeah. you convince me that I had the best strategy? I, I, you and Satan were like, Mike, you just have the best strategy. Yeah, that was exactly. <laughs> I, be, I believe this is where Mark Calderauer would call for the use of the word kappa. <laughs> What's kappa? It's sarcasm or it's it's just an online. It's, it's a term people much younger than us use. Let it's, me tell you something. <laughs> Mike, Mike and I, my Satan and I, uh, I do not believe wanted you, I believe I yeah. wanted you to play with a card called Golgari Grave Troll. Oh yeah, and day. I was saying that card is dumb. <laughs> and it's real dumb, they banned it. It's really it's really dumb. Uh, but yes, I could have I could have done that. But yes, yeah, you just have the best strategy, Mike. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Like, okay, Satan, I won't. Surely my deck that wins with a 3-1 for 3. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, he's actually a pretty dead gladiator. <laughs> He's actually pretty dead. Um, but... Uh, well, that card almost did make my top eight cards. I love that Undead card. Gladiator? Yeah, I love that card. I think Dragonlord Dramica might have to make it onto my top eight cards. But anyway, listen to this card. So now, if you play the Colligan version, people will play bad against Colligan. I'll tell you why. They could be at nine life with a Hero's Downfall in their hand and not cast it. Because they think Colligan will kill them. Okay? Oh, funny. Right? They just don't know what the card does. Funny. Okay. Like, that will happen. The people will will not kill your Colligan because they think Colligan will kill them. He does not kill you if you cast a Hero's Downfall. Now, if you countered their Ashiok and then you cast another Ashiok, yeah, Colligan will kill you. <laughs> Take 10, brother, right? Colligan's real good against decks with cards like Elvish Mystic. <laughs> like, you know, you kill their Elvish Mystic or whatever, they're like, whatever. Turn 12, Elvish Mystic. Oh, crap! <laughs> Yeah, he's real good in those situations. I think that he's going to be a good asset. So, basically, we figured out a way to make the sideboard only a little worse, just a tiny bit worse, against Mono Red. Not even that much worse. Just exchanging the fourth Omen Speaker for the fourth in Case and Ice. It's the only major switch. But that makes us so much better against Absin Aggro. Right? Now we're going to have four in Case and Ice against Absin Aggro. Get all four Icefall Regents against Abzan Aggro, and then add in Coligan, which is also good against Abzan Aggro. 
I think it's a lot of percentage against Abzan Aggro that we're getting back. Because Abzan Aggro, if I, if I said 60% in their favor, I'm probably lying to myself. <laughs> if, it's, if I'm playing against Andrew Boswell, I'm sure he wins 78% of the games or something. Like, but I think I think if we come to the battlefield with uh, four in case and ice, four Icefall Regent, Coligan, and two Atarkas, I think I think we got a game. Okay. So, um, but yeah, the deck's good. So you, I haven't talked about my modern deck at all. Okay. This is my modern deck. So, part of my modern deck was previously compromised, but I think Godennis, who lives across the street from me, has the cards I need. Okay. <laughs> so I could just ask him to borrow those cards, right? So, I refuse to pay $10 for Serum Visions. I'm sure you could understand why. Sure. Would you pay $10 for Serum Visions? No, I probably have Serum Visions at the office. Okay, well, I wasn't about to pay $10 for Serum Visions, so I'm like, I'll just play Sleight of Hand. <laughs> That's only $3. Serum Visions really $10? $10, yeah. Jeez. I mean, I wish I didn't throw all of them away or whatever yeah. I did, right? I'm like, because back then, anyway, Serum Visions is a good card, so my deck is... Cataxian Probe, which I think I have four of, I hope. Um, Serum Visions, Inquisition of Kozilek, Lightning Bolt, Snapcaster Mage, how many cards is that? Gurmag Angler, Thought Scour, Tassiger. So you're playing Chapin's Pro Tour deck? No, it's red. I have Lightning Bolt. Oh, okay. I thought, he was playing, I thought he was playing Grixis. I... No, he was playing Esper. Oh, okay. I have Esper Angler. I have Lightning Bolt, Terminate, and Electrolyze. Like um, you're you're a Liliana deck, so Lingering Souls is kind of good against you. So Electrolyze is good against Lingering Souls. Um, it, it does. I mean, like just casting a five-five on turn two is pretty good. And then like it eats your graveyard, so their Tarmogoyf is very bad. Great. Uh, that's that's good, and then I don't know. I have played it a fair amount, and seems pretty good. But I've never played in a real life modern. That's fair. So, I don't know. All my cards are powerful. I think. How are you just not playing Splinter Twin? Isn't that like your? Isn't that like? Wouldn't that be your modern wheelhouse? But that, <clears throat> when I played Splinter Twin, I played like a bazillion lands, tectonic edges, and no one else knew how to play it. They would all play it bad and played like all kinds of wacky cards that shouldn't be in their deck. Now everyone knows how to play it. It's just not fun anymore. Like, I don't like doing the stuff that everyone else okay. does. No. I don't know, is that a cop-out? It's a little bit of a cop-out. It seems like a deck you just know super well in general in terms of how to play it. I don't know, it's not too late. Yeah. I think Roman Fusco has a Splinter Twin deck that he would just give me. Yeah. Um, you should consider it. I guess I could consider it. That woman was very tall. She was. I might, I might want to borrow a physical copy. Do you still have your physical standard deck belt? Um, yeah, but two of the Master Waves I'm giving back to Longo tonight that That's I borrowed. That's fine. I have Masters. But I have I might play it next Tuesday. Maybe I'll go to the other sure. next Tuesday for standard and play it. We'll have to meet on Monday or before then. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. to give it to you. Yeah. Um, or, it's, oh, so funny. So funny. For Matt Ferrando, you know, infrequent guest on the podcast, very skeptical you know, I, I, he was qualified to go to Philadelphia. Brando, talk to Mike. Mike said, if you want, you know, he's got a deck. And he's like, well, what is it? And I sort of gave him the, the sketch. Yeah. And he was like, no way. No way. Like, what is, what is you know, which is, to be fair, a, a widespread reaction. What does Dragon Lord Drumaki even do for you? Kind of thing, right? 
But I just want to point out that while he was doing this, while I was talking about yeah. this, he was playtesting Esper Dragons. Yeah. And he was playtesting the Esper Dragons mirror. Yeah. Right? And trying to figure out how to not just have all the games end in a draw or decking and was like testing grind clocks. So like, I'm like, I don't know. You if know you, what I would do if my opponent had a grind clock? I would attack for five. I was like, <laughs> if you feel like the games are just degenerating into this state, maybe you want to take a lateral step to play something else. Grind clock would be awesome. It's so hard for me to get enough cards to cast Dig Through Time. They're just <laughs> donating them to me. <laughs> grind, yeah, no, that'd be, no, I mean, he would, I don't think they would grind clock in, the mirror, in that match. It was just kind of fun. And I eat a coal again? It's so good. Kenji posted a screenshot of himself with like a Dramica and a Coligan red zoning with four untapped blue sources and three counter spells in his hand against his Esper guy who's all untapped. Just be like, like these decks are just helpless against five color blue dragons. Like yeah. they can't do anything. Like the, the, the number of times I would just cast a Dramica and then just not have tapped any of my lands other than a Crucible. Yeah, they're just. They're crucible. crucible should be banned screw, is the screw, word you're looking for. Screw, it's too powerful. Screw, screw Dragonlord Dramaka in your top eight cards. It should be Crucible. You think? Crucible. Crucible, crucible to me is the breakthrough card in that deck. Like, it's not a card people were playing. Oh all. yeah, the deck's pretty unplayable if there's no Crucible. Like that's that's really what makes that deck work. It's like, you can't even you cast just, your spells if there's no Crucible. Like you stick, you just stick a Dragonlord for no mana basically. And like I had games in testing where I would go like. Get my dragon like multiple crucibles leveled up, and like have also the haven, and like play a dragonlord dromica. They kill it with some like really expensive spell, yeah. and I could counter it. Yeah, and I just didn't. But why? I was just like, why? It was like we're down at some stage of the game where like they're panting, you know, and I'm like, all right, return dragonlord dromica, play dragonlord dromica, you know, yeah, and then they're just like, ugh, you know, and like. I don't know, and then you, have, you still have just like four counter spells in your hand, and all your blue mana untapped. It's kind of insane. Yeah, it's, I think um, Crucible. I think Crucible of the Spirit Dragon might be the most powerful card in Standard. Like that, that that's like not really a like a you know hipster ironic thing to say. You just have to look at it the right lens. Like if somebody said to you, I think Black Lotus is the most powerful card and, and in Alpha. Be, and to be fair, you liked Crucible when we did our set review. You were. But I actually think that I would point out more importantly is I liked Dramica, and I like Dramica for the reasons that it's good in this deck. Yeah. Remember what I said? I like, I said like I could care less that it's a Baneslayer Angel. This card is an uncounterable advance. Right. Only question is how how you can get it down, and then what kind of dumb stuff you can do to your opponent once it's down. Yeah. Because that's why the card is powerful, not because it's a Baneslayer Angel. Yeah, the, fu the funny thing is, I I rarely cast Dig Through Times before my Dromica. Yeah. You know, it'd be just kind of like, all right, stick a Dromica, Dig Through Time, and, you know, just then set up and say go. Um, yeah. No, it's, 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 a, it's a very cool deck. My kudos to you and Patrick on it. So, that was good. You don't like my modern deck? Sounds I like your modern deck. I mean, it seems fine. I don't know anything about modern, so. I mean, modern's weird. You know, I just always want to, uh, I always want to do graveyard shenanigans. That's close enough. I like Tassiger. Maybe I should play a murderous cut. Murderous cut's really good. Puts a lot of. Pr I mean, like I have Thought Scour, either Serum Visions or Sleight of Hand, and and uh, 
uh, like a taxi for I was actually shocked at the frequency with which you can play a turn two fatty. It's oh, so easy. Yes. Like, people, and then like, the, people's response to those cards, because they can't be abrupt decayed. So the response to those cards is Path to Exile. Man, is that good for you. <laughs> like, it's unreal how good it is for you when they Path to Exile. Then you just play your next fatty. Yeah. Or you play Liliana. Yeah. yeah, it's real good. Snapcaster Mage is pretty good in this deck. Like, I mean, I don't know. What do people do in Modern? Just cast good creatures? And, like, try to disrupt each other? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, th I think you're going to see a lot of Splinter Twin. Um, I beat Splinter Twin most of the time when I've been playing. But I have four Terminates. What else do you need to do against them? I have Inquisition of Causal. Like, I can yeah. take their Seabrain You're going to see a lot of, a lot of Splinter Twin. You're going to see a lot of Obzon. I think I have a very good option matchup. Yeah. And then I think after sideboarding, I can play with, like, Dispel. I think I'm going to play an Annul. You know why? Because some people have Karanos, God of Storms in their deck. And I would like to Annul that creature <laughs> a lot. I think that would be fun. Just because. So if somebody pays five, countering their thing for one is awesome. You could still run Nullify, too. <coughs> I'm not nullifying that. Can I even nullify that? What if it's not a creature? It's a creature spell. Is it? I don't know the rules. Yeah, it's a creature spell. It just comes into play. It's same thing as if you had like an ostracized. Could I negate it? You can't. I don't think you can negate it. It's a summon spell, right? I don't know. Yeah, you can't. Negate I don't know. It. You can't negate it. I don't know the rules. You can't negate it. I would ask Eric Smith. I would show him the nullify and the and the and the negate in my hand. I was like, which spell should I cast <laughs> against this? <laughs> he would he would tell me. Then I would use that one and be like, I don't know which one can I can cast against this. Please tell me. And then. But I will counter it. Just yeah. tell me which yeah. one. Yeah. That's what I would do yeah. if I were ever in that spot. But I know that I can annul it. <laughs> yes, you can definitely. It's always an enchantment. Yes. I think, what about blue? I don't think I own any cryptic commands. I was thinking about auto. Doesn't nullify also counter, counter an enchantment? An aura. Oh, it's an aura only. If it countered all enchantments, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, do you have any cryptic commands? I think I sold them all. I don't think I own that card. It was from before I was collecting cards again. So I was thinking about maybe audibling to Blue Moon. I think I would be good at Blue Moon. Is Blue Moon good? I don't know. I mean, it was like a one, it, it had one event. I've yeah, but it seems like the kind never of deck done anything it, again. Pretty simple to play. Sure. Right? Like, I can just. Blue Moon with a Tarka? It's like Mana Leak people. Like, I know how to Mana Leak opponents. That's within my wheelhouse. I have four Wiper and Mana Leaks in my binder, and I can bust those out. People people pretty much go on tilt if you cast a Whiteboard or Mana oh, yeah. against them. They're yeah. just like, they pick up their cards and go home. Yeah, um, I, like, I like Blue Moon. Uh, let's see. But I don't I mean, I don't, I don't own Vendillion Click for sure. Right. So. But Blue, Blue Moon, my brain's not working today. Blue Moon did not splinter your did it? No. So, but you could just, you could also just run a version of... Oh, but you know what? Yelger, was Yelger who the, the campaign member who made top eight of the yeah. modern? He played a uh, blue-red Splinter Twin deck that actually sideboarded into Blue Moon, right? Right, essentially, yeah. yeah. Like, you could just do that, too. Like, you could just run, like, the best of both worlds. People keep citing Blood Moon in against me, and my deck is already red and has, like, five basic lands. <laughs> We're just like, why would you Blood Moon against me? Like... I beat this guy. I can't, look, last like last night, I inquisition a cause like this guy. I'm crushing him already, right? And his hand is like three blood moons that he hasn't cast. 
I'm like, nice deck. <laughs> and my board is like, watery grave, steam vents, swamp island or something. <laughs> just like, uh, Blood Moon might not have been the best sideboarding strategy. So you know this RTQ is going to be limited. If you win this PTQ. I don't even know where I'm supposed to play. There isn't even one in Philadelphia this time, is yeah. there? What's that? RTQ. I'm not flying anywhere again after this. I'm too tired. Fly, flying for a limited one is a lot more high risk. You go up to the Catskills, right? Is I'm it, sure Kerwin's Is it Magic it. Origins, the format? I don't know. I don't know I'll when I don't know learn when how to is. play that for the Pro Tour anyway. Yeah, you are going to... You're going to... I mean, you're going to have to draft a fair amount here. And I'll just have to focus on drafting. I don't know. Like, you just... Like, I mean, especially when you look at, like... So you look at Esper Dragons, and Esper Dragons was like this insane deck that kind of snuck up on people the week after the Pro Tour. Yeah. But like, when, you know, like, Paulo and Josh at our lane went 17 and 3 with the deck. At the Pro Tour? At the Pro Tour. Yeah. But both went 1 and 2 in their first draft. And kind I mean, of. even great players have bad drafts. I understand Paulo that. Paulo is a limited Pro Tour champion. I, I understand that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is a mark on their preparation. I'm saying it is like. It's, it's very easy to overlook, to, to sort of look past limited still and go, well, it's only six rounds. That's actually not how I look at it. I mean, I assume that I'm going to have a great deck for the Pro Tour. Right. That's like an assumption I'm going to make. Because like, but in terms like, like for the last Pro Tour that I played in, I got to build three decks. They were all good. We didn't play one of them. <laughs> but, you know. I think I think what we could, uh, you know, I, I assume that I'm gonna have a good deck. I think that limited's gonna be the area that I have to, you know, focus on the most. Right. Cool thing about Magic is anybody can beat anybody. Sure. Top eight cards. Talk about your top eight cards. Wait, you sure you sure you don't want to talk about the Spurs? Let me tell you something. The dirt on their coffin. Is refusing to stay on top, I think. I mean, well, you, someone tried throwing dirt on their coffin, but then Tim Duncan just blocked it. <laughs> the, I mean, I love the Spurs. Clippers I, shot horrendously from I three. I do not to want lose to troll game. my very good friend who's claiming that they were going to throw dirt on the coffin of the Spurs after game one. But Duncan is like literally holding on to DeAndre Jordan's jersey while making that block, right? That's. <laughs> I, mean, I, really, I kind of don't want to talk about basketball. I'm like a little okay. incensed about the Kelly Olynyk, okay. Kevin Love okay. thing. Okay, I was wondering about that. Although, the, the one comment I do want to make about just about basketball yeah. is Popovich. You watch his po you watch his post game, and he's just like grumpy and terse and grumpy and terse and just like shooting down questions and basically saying you're an idiot until someone asks him about the Tim Duncan. And he basically he puts his hands like under Christmas his chin, tree. his hands under his chin, and bats his eyelashes, and like engages the reporter in like almost like follow-up answers to questions that haven't been asked. It was so, very funny. I was actually feeling pretty sorry for the Atlanta Hawks because of the Thabo Cephalosha situation. You know, like got his leg broken by the New York Police Department at a. I mean, like I I'm actually kind of shocked that this isn't national news. Sure. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much on it. I don't want to be a rumor monger or anything. But the fact that it happened at all is something that seems like would be of greater magnitude than a lot of the other things that have spurred national news and or riots in other cities. Yeah, yeah. 
if for no other reason than in this case the police brutality against a black person is going to affect the Eastern Conference playoff situation of the best record team playing against the New York team like this is and you know I, I know that not everybody out there follows advanced stats but Thabo Cephalosha is the best player on the Atlanta Hawks that's the he's actually their best player and in a prospective Eastern Conference Finals battle against the Cleveland Cavaliers, he would be the one expected to guard LeBron James. Right. He's their lockdown defender at wing, right? Like, this has a huge impact on the playoff situation in the East. Now, I think the people who think that the Chicago Bulls are now favored to win the East just don't know how to look at a box score. Derrick Rose is very bad. He's like an extraordinarily bad basketball player at this stage of his career. But he's healthy. The, the thing is, Derrick Rose being healthy is extremely bad for them because that means that Thibs is going to keep playing him. Rose is bad at all of the key things that a point guard is supposed to be good at. First of all, he leads the league in turnovers during the playoffs right now per game. Nobody got more turnovers than Derrick Rose. Is that the thing that you want the guy holding your ball to? I have, I have a Tom Thibodeau question. Okay. And then we'll, then we'll go to top eight cards. So we, yeah. we, all right. You, you're driving your car. Okay, yeah. through some part of Brooklyn that has not quite yet gentrified. It's still very blue collar. It's really kind of like a little scary looking. And yep. your car has broken down. It's like three in the morning. You're, you have to get out of your car. You have to, your cell phone is dead. You need to find a place to call someone. For am, help. I, am I on the history channel right now? You wander into this bar that has no windows. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's dark. You're not even sure if it's open, but the door was open. You see a figure by the bar in the dark, and you go, hello? And the person turns around and turns into the light, and you realize he's got a jagged bottle, and he's gouging someone's throat out. And the person doing this is Tom Thibodeau. How shocked are you on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what he does to Jimmy Butler every game? <laughs> it's like a two, right? I Maybe mean, like, a three. So this, is he the he's the toughest looking coach in, so, but in, he, in professional the thing sports. Is, the guy is like a slave driver, right? Like, you can't be surprised that Rose, who was at one point a poetic offensive player, just breaks the way that Thibodeau plays his players. How many 40-minute games in a row can Jimmy Butler really play? I, I don't understand how just like an, an, a front office can let a coach do that when you look at the success of the Spurs who just don't have – when was the last time a player on the Spurs played a 40-minute game? I don't even know. I've, I have no idea, but I have to imagine it's a long time ago. Yeah, I mean like last year no player on the Spurs averaged more than 30 minutes a game in the playoffs and they won the title. Right. No one averaged more than 28 minutes a game. So anyway, uh, yeah, I hope that they play Derrick Rose a lot. I think this matchup between Derrick Rose and Kyrie Irving is just going to be like the Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie's been great in the playoffs. He's been 30-point games. I mean, like, I think if they if they really want to put Derrick Rose against Kyrie Irving, we could see multiple 50-point explosions out of Kyrie. There's just no way one-legged Derrick Rose is going to stay ahead of Kyrie. Like, it's just, it's just not going to be required, right? So... That the what if it's like horse, though, and Kyrie <coughs> has to play one-legged, too? <laughs> but the problem is the Cavs' strength at big was insane like six months ago, but now we've got, like, Moscow, and that's it. 
There's no backups. Kendrick Perkins is not a real basketball what, what player. What about uh, Tristan? Oh yeah, yeah, Tristan's awesome. I, I actually been. I, I, I'm watching the. I'm watching the game the other day, and it's the game. I guess Love got hurt. Yeah. And they're like, and Thompson does this, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like literally scratching my head. I'm going, who the hell is Thompson on the Cavs? And they're like, oh yeah, good game for. Tr-. I'm like, oh yeah, Tristan Thompson. I forgot all about it. Yeah, I don't think about Tristan that way because Tristan's just like. The fact that Tristan didn't get sixth man of the year is kind of baffling to me. But he's so much better than every other sixth man in the league. Do you know, it's like, he leads like the league in offensive rebounds per minute. He never misses. That's the other people. He's like DeAndre Jordan. He just like hits all of his shots. Doesn't take a lot of shots, but he hits them all, you know? And he's on like the best team in the East. Like, just like, no love. Literally no love right now. Yeah. No, but I'm just saying we have no we have no big death, right? Like, so Tristan's probably gonna have. To, I, I'm not sure if they'll start Tristan. I think what they might do is give LeBron some cake. Okay, LeBron puts on 20 pounds in the next week, and he just plays power forward. Well, you owe cake. I do. So you could send I the cake. I would gladly to, give you could the send cake the cake to LeBron. to LeBron James. So if LeBron plays power forward, they move Marion to starting small forward. I think that could be okay. Marion's a great defender, underrated scorer still. I think that. You know, he's not the fastest dude in the world, but like, it's not like the, the Bulls are not the Bulls are not fast at forward. Shump's, but they have Shump's size. a pretty good defender. Shump is an excellent defender, and he's a shooting guard. Though. But but I'm saying like, but Shump's gonna have to start because of stupid ass Jr. Like, you have it. You have a you have a starting five that is a mile better than every other team's starting five. If you look at the post January stats of the Cavs starting five, they're like. On a, on, like a, on a per 100 minutes basis, they, they blow Golden State away, right? This is the best. JR's reaction to losing one of the starting five is to get himself suspended. <laughs> like, oh, this would have been too easy of a series. He needed a break. I, like, actually, I gotta tell you, I don't even understand how the guy is such a different player. He was like, he plays like an all-star in a Cavaliers uniform. He played like, like he great played, basketball. He played, he played like an all-star the first year in a Nick uniform. He's played great he defense. He won six man of the year. He played, he played great. He he is prone to He's mental He's a freaking lapse. assassin. He puts up a three-pointer. It's probably going in. Like, the guy's like a monster. And why would he get himself suspended? He knows we're weak at big. He, he does. He does not play with common. He doesn't play with common sense. Is it, really what it I comes down. I don't care down. if Kirk gets suspended. Then then <laughs> then Blatt can't play him <laughs> he gets suspended. But like, oh my God. I don't know. Maybe we're gonna. What, maybe should we ask for Lou Amundsen back? <laughs> we don't have enough power forwards. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Lou so it looks like Love's out for the entire playoffs. He's gone. Yeah, yeah, muscle tear, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it does not sound like he can come back. I mean, I think Kelly Olynyk should get killed for this. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, I think the human life is worth it. What do you think? I, I, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible play. It didn't look like he was oh, I watched enough to, re... It's, it's, I mean... He looked like just like a... a like, I don't know what I'm doing here, and I'm just... Trying to his arms around him, twists and yanks him. Desperately trying to stop someone. I don't. But I'm saying I don't think. I, I, I think it's. I don't really think Kelly Olynyk yeah. should be killed. I don't even believe in the death penalty. But like. But if you were going to believe in the death penalty, he would be. This I mean, would be the case. This maybe be the beaten with a bag of oranges. I'm all for beating with a bag of oranges. I mean, it's just oranges. Yeah, and it doesn't leave a mark. He would get a lot of vitamin C. You seen the grifters? Yes, that's where yeah. I got it from. Yeah, it's a all towel right. full of oranges. Doesn't bruise. Okay, so uh, 
Top eight cards? Is this something we're going to do? Top eight cards. Yeah. So You go first. All right. Do you want me to do my whole top eight or do you want to alternate? No, no. You do your whole top eight. Okay. Then we'll tell the stories around it. So my top eight cards, I, I wrote about it in my column last week. Uh, I started with Verdant Force. Really? It's not a card I traditionally play a ton of, but um, it's for Pat Donovan, who's, a, you know, just someone I played a lot of Magic with, uh, traveled to a lot of events with, and, he, you know, he, he died a couple years ago. Um, good friend of mine and Scott McCords. And he, in the era of Necrodoni, qualified for an the Pro Tour at an extended PTQ, playing Natural Order, Verdant Force. Yep, I was uh, there. And uh, I don't know. I just, you know, someone I miss all the time when I think of when I play Magic, whenever a pre-release comes out. And uh, I don't know. Just I think that's a wonderful eighth place card. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, seventh place, I had... Uh, intruder alarm. I thought that was going to be mental note. Do you not have mental note on your I, list? You know, I don't, and that's probably oh a mental God. lapse. How do you not have mental? I don't know, but but I love I love. Intr I could replace Gaia's blessing with mental note. No, you can't. I probably can't. The problem is the here's first the thing. card I have any registration of you loving ever was Gaia's blessing. Here's the problem. I think the first conversation I, just, I had with you was like in Pro Tour New York, nineteen ninety-seven or something. I just feel like I run out. Of, I just have too many green and blue cards. You made How to Keep an Idiot Busy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All your cards should be cantrips. Yeah. Intruder, I've never even seen you play that I play, card. Intruder Alarm was the deck I played the most. It was just like Trade Wind Rider, Intruder Alarm, Multani's Acolyte. Why did you have to play the extra cards? You could just play the good ones. You don't have to play the extra ones. And I could draw my whole deck. <laughs> Why not just beat the opponent? I don't know. Because it was, it was fun. Gay-ass blessing. Gay-ass blessing. Uh, obviously, just a card I, I've always loved. How to Keep an Idiot Busy. Uh, Felden's Cane was a card I, I loved. You know, I, I obviously love um, what's the Elixir of Immortality. Zvimashowitz's first pro tour. I see him trying to zap somebody who has a <laughs> deadly insect in play. <laughs> the name of this deck is How to Keep an Idiot Busy. Why David Marshall made it. Uh, I mean, I, I gotta tell you something. I zapped many nights of Stromgold. That was... man would grow up to be the greatest deck designer <laughs> of all time. His first pro tour. Um... Natural Affinity, one of my favorite cards. <coughs> they have a high overlap of cards, probably with Adrian Sullivan's top eight. Oh, I don't is, know. Is pr pretty terrifying. He loves he loves a guy's blessing. Uh, and he loves he didn't he like didn't he play like Death Pit Offering Natural Affinity? I think he might have. Yeah. No, no, at that Pro Tour, John Schuler played it. He played. Uh, no, no, that's I'm thinking of the wrong Pro Tour. But anyway, I, I think I he did. You're right. I, I love I love Natural. I didn't play the Death Pit Offering version. I was just Natural Affinity and then Ensnare. I'd kill you with all my lands, and all your permanents would be tapped. That was called paper, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mass block. What is this? Exodron. I have known you for long enough to know that you've never played an Exodron. I have, because you, you don't play Commander, and you don't watch me play Commander. Oh, okay. This is a Commander card. It is a Commander card. It is one of the only remaining ways to tuck a Commander. I don't know what tuck is. So I saw there was a huge controversy over tuck. But it's not like this is a real format with rules written out somewhere. Well, there is a real format with rules written out somewhere. And Tuck is in it? Well, so Tuck That's is, the controversy, so, so right? So Tuck is uh, a, a, a colloquial term for um, when... So so if you play your commander and I hinder it to the bottom of your deck, that would be tucking it. And uh, so there's a basically... Is that really good against a commander? It's pretty good against a commander. 
because commander can always be played from the exile from the commander zone. So the change to the tuck rule is that anything that would sort of bounce a commander to your hand or send it to the bottom of your deck or do it, you could instead opt to put it to the command. Oh, that's too powerful. I don't like the tuck rule. So anyway, so the command zone is like another card in hand, right? Yeah, yeah. That's BS. So Exodron is one of the few ways to still sort of screw over someone's commander by turning it face down with no ability to turn it face down. Um, yeah, I mean, I have power sync, but specifically you have to go to the article for the power sync that I have, which is this basically six alpha edition power syncs that have been cut open, cut apart, and reassembled into a 3D card by Okabu, who's a Japanese artist who does these 3D cards, and it's... What did you trade him for the power sync? Uh, they were my power syncs. But he just did it for free. I gave him six of, I gave him six, uh... I gave him six of another alpha card. I think I gave him six alpha stone raids. Yeah. That he that he that he turned into that. Because he won't take money for his work. No, he right? won't. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I actually have four Okaboos. Really? Yeah. I have Temple of the False God. Really? Yeah, That's oh one my of my God. favorite cards. It's, it's gorgeous. I have Temple of the False God. I have Alpha Power Sync. I have a. Oh crap! I'm not gonna remember which, which sliver. It's one of the white slivers. That with some sliver. Slim sliver, and then. I have, for some reason, I have Wang's. Actually, I guess I only have three. The fourth one's Wang's. And, like, Wang always just ends up with some weird spider. So we have, like, Juvenile Gloom Widow in our art at the office. And it's... Did he win his first pro store qualifier with, like, Web Browser? Was that the name of the deck? Oh, he did. Maybe that's... It was, what, like, a... He has... A Browse Spider deck. It's true. <laughs> upheaval, of course. Uh, and upheaval. One. Upheaval. But I, I, I would actually... Upheaval slash Mental Note. <laughs> It's got to be mental. Can you open up Facebook and pull up mine? Because I'm not going to sure. be able to do it from memory very well. I labored over mine. I don't know if I, I, I did not. Mine, mine was... I mean, you know... I'm looking up Facebook on I Facebook. know you, and you did not have mental note on your official top eight list. But you also know that my top eight, top five, top three generally Are like a hundred. Yeah. It's like plus X. The whole point of these exercises is to cut it down to eight. I don't like cutting it down. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. Where is it? It's there. It should be on my page. I'm looking on your page. Just at your tournament report. Uh, I don't know if I can pull it up on my phone without hey, crashing the... There it is. Hey, I got it. All right. So in eighth position, I have... Well, that's a big picture. In eighth position, I have Skittering Scourge. Really? I mean... Just because that's the card from Napster you take? Uh, I mean, I also played it in... Hatred deck that I qualified with, okay. and I also played it in a Suicide Black deck that I qualified with separately. Okay. Like, so it's like the unifying factor to a bunch of like black based decks. Yeah, my win percentage with Skittering Scourge was pretty insane. So I, I just declared it my all time favorite offensive creature. Um, okay. It was interesting, like, you could play Skittering Scourge and Sarcomancy without a bad trigger, for example. Sure. Um, but I liked it a lot. I mean, now you have cards like. Watch Wolf aren't even good enough to play anymore, so right. Skittering Scourge is probably a lot, lot less good than it was when it when it was at my opinion of its height. But you know, just for nostalgia's sake, Skittering Scourge. Seven, a card that you mentioned a few minutes ago, Temple of the False God. I, I don't know. I basically played Temple of the False God in every format they would let me. Sure. Just in love with that card. I love casting cards <laughs> for. That were big and powerful for the, on the cheap. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of the most powerful strategies. 
Uh, Brian Kibler played a green-white deck that I designed that had four Temple of the False God that transformed into a Tooth and Nail deck. Is that his Nationals deck? Yeah, that he made top eight of Nationals with. Uh, And, like, you know, we didn't have, like, an Urzatron engine, but Temple of the False God allowed us to have this kind of demi-transformation. And number six, I have Eternal Dragon. So Temple of the False God and Eternal Dragon pretty much went hand-in-hand for me. I played them together all the time. Everyone's top eight lists basically look like the first pack of a cube draft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I love Eternal Dragon probably too much. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, Five, Keeg of the Tide Star. So, Keeg of the... The the progenitor of tap-out blue strategies. Yeah. Keeg of the Tide Star was, I mean, my first love in the tap-out blue zone. You know, even when I was a year earlier before the tap-out blue deck, I played it in that Drago deck, the one that you would call BWS, you know, that that one. You get beat up a lot, and then eventually you win. Yeah. Uh, and there was just one Kiga to win in that deck. Uh, I love Kiga. We never were under any illusions that Kiga was so big it couldn't be killed. We just knew that if they killed it, it would be bad for them. No, it would cost them, like, three cards to get rid of your Kiga. You would untap and just cast another Kiga. So, you know, Kiga was good for me. Um, you know, states finals. Julian beat me in the finals, so it was like state championship and states finals. You did that to yourself. I mean, I know Julian offered me the win. You also had the win on the. Didn't that's not the one we. I don't want to really talk about it. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the the secret word I podcast? Just random tap. I just, I just, yeah. Anyway, Julian crushed me. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Now I'm just distracted. Sorry, yeah, man. Julian destroyed me. Um, and then. You know, it was, you know, four of and in Osip's deck that he uh, made top eight at, at Heezy's Hawaii. King of the Tide Stars consistent. That deck was sweet. So it's very much like the deck that I played last weekend. You know, degenerate mana engine on your creatures and a bunch of dragons. Um, let's see, that. Uh, number four, Gnarled Mass. Oh, man, I should have Brine Elemental in my top eight cards, too. Yeah? Maybe Exodron should be Brine Elemental. I mean, but your reason for having Strawn is kind of dumb. Just because you can tuck commanders? Uh, no, I, I enjoy... Pl- I play it in my commander decks, and I really enjoy playing it. Do you not enjoy playing Brine Elements I, on your commander decks? I do, but everyone shames you when you play Brine Elemental. It's oh, generally me doing a shapeshifter and play. And basically, you're playing a five-player game, and you're the only person doing anything. That's the way it should be in Magic the Gathering. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Gnarled Ness, obviously, for deck I qualified with sure. um, almost a, a decade ago now, something like that. Uh, 2000 and six maybe something like a long time ago uh it was a it it represents though kind of an important moment in magic theory which was that you had all these decks that were interacting at a certain speed right and you know paul reitz will be like oh i have two twos for one two three and four mana that's like a joke Right, he had Isamaru Hound of Kanda, any number of 2-2 Samurais that we cast for 2 mana. Kitsune Blade, Kitsune Blade Master is yeah. our name. 2-2 for 3 mana with like First Strike and... and uh, my top 8 limited cards. And Bushido. And then Hakori Dust Drinker, which is a 2-2 for 4 mana, which was a Winter Orb for 4 mana, right? A creature. Problem was, the green decks and the green-blue decks that, like, that I like to play could get advantages, but it was very difficult for them to get an advantage where they weren't locked out by Pakori Dust Drinker if they weren't careful. So playing a card like Gnarled Mass allowed you to be in a position where if you were going to do something big that could potentially get you stuck by Pakori, 
you weren't behind on the table, right? Like if you go Maloku and they go Horkori, you're not getting much value out of your Maloku. Your entire mana on tap turn is just like make, make a 1-1, one, one, yeah. right? But if you've already got a 3-3 three, three in play, they can't attack you. Uh, so <coughs> Nardmas ended up being this spectacularly format-breaking card. And if you think about it as like format-breaking card, it's a 3-3 three, three for 3. Yeah, but like when everyone else is playing two twos for one, two, three, and four mana, the three, three for three in a color that doesn't have any other good way to interact with those kinds of cards, it's actually pretty significant. So a lot of those guys were relying on Bushido. Right, this is the same thing. Like people are playing like Hand of Cruelty. Yeah, exactly. So like you have an entire, you have two different decks that are just relying on playing Hand of Cruelty. But like you just play this, and you're like, shoot, there's this stupid three, three. And like it traded with a lot of good creatures. It was actually a really, really interesting card that two green pips oh wait no wrong format it also had two green pips it was a spirit and that didn't come up very much yeah um so in third place demonic consultation um i don't know if you've ever played demonic consultation listener at home if you haven't i highly recommend it uh, my first pro tour ever was when i met aaron muranaka i uh demonic consultation for one of in my deck and killed him it was fireball sometimes you had to uh I think that's pretty. I think that's like it. I think that's beast mode, mode magic. I think most people didn't know how to do that. No, no, no. <clears throat> well, actually, I, you know what's funny is I think I do. I think that like level one of demonic consultation. Yeah. Is beast mode magic? You think really? I think level one is, but before people knew that the card was good, right? Like they'd be like, you know, you'd someone. Would, it's like when someone plays a good card against you in limited. Yeah. But they play it badly. Do you know what I mean? Like, people play Demonic Consultation and just like, all right, I'm just going to name a card. And they, you know, at a time where people weren't playing four ofs, like, if you look at the first Pro Tour decks that played Demonic Consultation, they did not have four Necros, four Rituals, yeah. and four Demonic Consultations. This was underdeveloped strategy. It was underdeveloped, and they'd be like, and there was some risk, like, legitimate risk of, like, consulting for something and you could like there's a famous story of Mark Justice not winning the world championships because he consults himself into a spot where he has no library right but he was just just a sloppy player I mean I don't know like in the same spot if you just play at the correct pace you won't get in that position sure, sure. But, but but I but I think I think like second second level of consultation <clears throat> second step of the evolution of the card is you play you play four ofs you name a card that you you're, you you need that you're gonna you know you, you consult for ritual so you can turn to Ritual Necro, or you could talk oh, yeah, to the by, Necro. By, like, 1998, 1999, we were so aggressive on Demonic Consultations. Yeah. Like, it was, like, it was just, like, an art form playing that card correctly. Right. And and then, then I think the, the, the next level after that is where you just realize, like, sometimes you just have to play the odds. So I know people might not know Consultation, so it was, like, you exiled the top. So it's a card that costs B yeah. for an instant, just B. Yeah. And the card says, name a card. Turn over the top six cards of your library. Set them aside. Now, after the top six cards of your library, turn over cards of your library until you get to the card that you named. If you had a one of in your deck and it was in the top six cards, you're dead. Okay? <laughs> but, like, we would do things just like consulting for wastelands, right? Like, say you go, like, first turn, like, Swamp Ritual, Sarcomancy, uh, Sarcomancy's uh, Skittering Scourge, right? You have five power in play, right? Go. Your opponent plays, like, uh... Your opponent plays a, a fairy conclave, okay? <laughs> like, so you're like, all right, consult for Wasteland, Wasteland, dude. They're dead. Game's yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. There's not coming back this game, right? Because you're like, you just have like another Wasteland in your hand or whatever. There's freaking smoke. There's a reason why this card is banned in Legacy. So <clears throat> that card is good. Of course, there's the most famous story, which is um, 
Altran, who got married last month, Altran, uh, spring forth burly protector and save me, consults for the one of the um, one of Karavek's spite to win win his top eight match, but he didn't actually qualify. But it's still yeah, great story. He lost. You know who he lost to in that top two, top four rather, Brian Manalakos. Yeah. yeah, it was a close match. Um, but you go consultation vampire tutor. Yeah. John Schuler said that my topic was invalidated because I had both amount of consultation and vampiric tutor. I do feel like you have to pick. I mean, you seem like you have to pick one. I mean, like I'm like a I'm a respectful fan and devotee of demonic consultation, but I'm a master of vampiric tutor. <laughs> like it's different. You're a fan of some things or some things that you're that that's your thing. The other thing is like things like like it would be like having I feel like in my top eight favorite things maybe. It might be like having Taylor Swift and Who's the Beatdown both in my top eight, right? One of them I like, one of them I did, okay? Sure. So, yeah, Vampiric Tutor is like the anti-demonic consultation. It's demonic consultation with no risks. <laughs> you always get what you want. Well, I could mental note you. Oh, you could. There was there... a time you couldn't. I remember, one of my favorite Vampiric Tutor stories of all time was <coughs> Gerard Fabiano and, and uh, Antonio DeRosa were playing a black red zombies deck. I'm sorry, black red goblins deck at Grand Prix Boston. And Gerard says to me, I have a cabal therapy in my opening hand. All of my plays for the rest of the game are scripted. I don't know what my opponent's deck is. What card should I name with uh, cabal therapy? And I'm like, vampiric tutor off. Right? And he's like, that's what I named. I'm like, did he have one? He said, no. He had two. <laughs> You just named Vampiric Tutor, right? Uh, there was a great, there's a the great top eight match um, in I don't remember Worlds 2003 when Larkin gets gets duressed and the Vampiric Tutors, the Vampiric Tutors for Vampiric Tutor. You know this match? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's awesome, right? Like it's like I'm not sure what to get. Just get Vampiric Tutor. The only card I care if he takes away is Vampiric Tutor. Um, so then my number one card is Kurt Ape. Uh, that seems probably like an unusual card for me. It does right? seem like an unusual card for you. Kurt Ape is the card that made me fall in love with Magic, though. Okay. So, in the early packs of Magic, I started playing in Revised. Kurt Ape was originally printed in Arabian Nights, but was in Revised. And I saw this card, which was a red creature for one red mana, but very powerful if I had a forest, right? And I decided, I looked at this card, and I decided upon seeing this card, and then eventually learning about cards like Taiga, that there must be some secret language to this game, and that I wanted to devote a lot of time and mental energy to uncovering the secret language of this game. And for that reason, Kurt Ape holds a place in my heart that can never be displaced. I don't think I've played Kurt Ape in a serious tournament in like, I think I've did it maybe one Philadelphia? time. Philadelphia? I played it in- You um, played it at Grand Prix Philadelphia. No, I played Hatred. Like but you convinced everyone else to play Kurt Ape and then you didn't play it? Oh, I did play it. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I played it. Okay. I should have played the other deck. Paul Jordan almost made top eight with my Psychotog deck. Oh, that's right. Uh, <clears throat> actually, yeah, that deck was better than the deck I got everyone to play. And then we didn't have enough cards, so Paul played the Psychotog deck, and Chris Pakula played the black-white deck, so we didn't have enough cards, and he did make top eight. <laughs> hey, I didn't watch Standard Super League last night. Did anyone play your deck? No. I watched it for a while, but I, I didn't watch all the No one played my deck. They should have. There were a lot of Esper Dragons, right? There were a lot of Esper Dragons. So, anyway, that's our top eight cards. 
Oh, yeah. and then did we talk about it at the beginning? Oh, I didn't say spider spawning, by the way, which was in my top eight cards. Oh, okay, spider spawning. So you also have, oh, and then um, it was your birthday last month, and I gave you United States of Murder, Inc. Thank you. And for people at home, if you want to read a really good comic book, I really super recommend United States of Murder, Inc. There's no better testament I can give to this card, I mean, that's card, this comic book then. I bought the first five issues, and it was so good, I paid full price for the sixth issue, which I never do. I just don't pay full price for digital comic books. Okay, so I, I'm gonna, I'll recommend a comic as well. Okay. And I, it, it seems like this should be obvious, but apparently it's not, because I've had this conversation with multiple people on social media yeah. since Daredevil aired. Yeah. On Netflix, and people are, you know, like, holy crap, I love Daredevil. And multiple people, including Frank Lepore, yeah. have referenced their fondness for the Bendis Malieve Daredevil. And it's clear from the way they reference it that they've never read the Frank Miller Daredevil. And I, I don't have a great affection for Frank Miller as he stands as an artist today, or as a writer today. But the but when you say the Frank Miller Daredevil, you mean the Frank Miller Dave Mezzichelli Daredevil, not the Frank Miller Frank Miller Daredevil. I mean the Frank Miller Klaus Jansen original run of Daredevil. Even without Dave Mezzichelli? Even without Dave, I love Dave Mezzichelli. Even when, what's his name? Is it Roger Robinson is the writer? Ro Roger Stern. No. Not Roger Stern. It was Roger Stern. No, yeah. it's this guy who never wrote anything else important. I, I want to say it's Roger Robinson or something. Roger, I'll look. Shoot, we don't look things up. Okay. It's not Roger Stern. Okay. But, yeah, you're right. Frank Miller is originally the artist, but not the writer of Teardown. But among only a few issues. It's still quite good. It's not, but... <coughs> The, the, the fact is... The Daredevil like, and Hulk fighting in an alley? The, the, the thing is, the, the, the Frank Miller run of Daredevil is one of three pillars of modern comics that have just completely changed the face of superhero comics in their wake. Right? Like, you have, you know, not, I'm not talking about going back to, like, Jack Kirby and, and Stan Lee, right? That's, that's already middle... That's the Middle Ages. Yeah. You know, that's the Renaissance. But, like, modern superhero comics over the last 30 years... I, I, there's three people who are as influential as Miller. It's Miller, Chris Claremont writing X-Men. I hate to admit it, but you're right. And Alan Moore on Swamp Thing and Superman. And Green Lantern. Like, not on Green Lantern. <laughs> she did this interview a few years ago where he was just like, they're just rehashing, they're making so much money selling all these comics, just rehashing the footnotes from Correct. Green Lantern Corps that I did 30 years ago. Yeah. Like, Mogo, and Sodom Yacht are throwaway panels, panels in in, 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 in his in his in his Green Lantern yeah, stories. Yeah, Alan Moore, Frank Miller, and Chris Claremont are the three like, like if you when you look back at the last 30, 35 years of comics, those are the guys who changed it. And like Kingpin is not a Kingpin doesn't is is like a goofy Spider-Man villain. Before before, before he gets co-opted into the Daredevil universe or the Daredevil neighborhood. It's probably more appropriate. That's interesting. Like, Catman is like this super big Batman villain loser, and in Kevin Smith's Green Arrow, Catman is too fat to fight. He's just like super fat. But then like Gail Simone makes Catman into this guy who like everyone wants to root for as an anti-hero in Secret Six. I think that's like a similar transformation of a character, except for Secret Six is way less important than. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know, like, if you read, like, like you the Mary Sue and stuff two, like that, people... You don't have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, if you don't have Frank Miller. You don't have Frank Miller's Daredevil. I didn't understand that as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan in the 80s. Well, I mean, I think they've backpedaled away from it because it's probably... They probably at some point have to write a billion-dollar check 
to Frank Miller. Oh, because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is such a bigger, more important property than Daredevil. <laughs> like, like the, the, the in, in, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, which is this black and white comic that's drawn in the style, like in a bad, pen-scratchy style of Frank Miller's Daredevil, right? And the, first of all, the title, Teenage Mutant Ninja, rep- represents like a bunch of things Frank Miller was doing, including like the Kitty Pride and Wolverine and his Wolverine comic. Yeah, so the enemy in the in the Daredevil is the hand. The enemy in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the foot. There's a radioactive canister <laughs> that bounces from a traffic accident yeah. into a sewer and transforms the rats and 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 uh, turtles and the and the, what was the rat the rat and Splinter. the turtles. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, Splinter and the and Splinter and Stick. Yeah, you know it's pretty derivative. It's super derivative, and like it wouldn't exist without Frank. So like just like this huge huge comic. So if you have not read the, I, I, the Miller run of Daredevil, I think you go Electra, Bullseye. I mean, I would, I would agree with you in terms of the, the Bronze Age of comics, but like, you don't think in the last few years that like Mark Wade, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, but I think Brian all, K. Vaughn, but I think like all these, these guys, are, guys, I think all these guys, Mark Millar, I think all these guys are following in the footsteps of those, largely of more, yeah. yeah. Like none of those guys follow in the footsteps of Claremont, no. but they all like, but even more so like pay homage to Claremont. He's like Chris, you know, Chris and John. I mean, you don't think. If you want to talk about these '80s comics icons, you don't think that John Byrne is on the is on the same tier as them? I think John Byrne is a more su- su- I mean, I substantial think, I think, creator than Claremont. I, I don't. I, I no, he's he's not because because Cl- John he's Byrne doesn't half of the importance of that entire thing with the X Men in the early '80s. He was the except, artist except on the Hellfire Saga. He's the artist on Dark Phoenix Saga. Except he's that Claremont. Art- except that Claremont was setting the ground, laying the groundwork for all of that. Without burn, for six, he does fourteen issues. He does more than a year of X Men. But all the really big stories that more are being made into movies now are all the burn stories. And I mean, like you have to assume that Burns' fingerprints are all over this stuff. The the, the Claremont Cockrum stuff isn't as good as the Claremont. I, Burns I stuff. agree. I agree with you. And then after Burn leaves, like there are a lot of pretty good artists that he works with: Paul Smith, J.R.J.R. Barry freaking Windsor Smith are his artists after Burn. These are some great artists, and none of that stuff is nearly as it. Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, none of that stuff is as seminal as any of the work that he did with Burn in the early ages. Sure. I mean, right? Am I? Am no, I, no, no. I, I mean, these are like, good artists gonna, he's working with. If you're gonna, but I mean, then, 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 then you say the same thing about Dave Gibbons. For Alan Moore. I mean, Dickie Evans never will do anything as important as Watchmen, but neither will anyone else. But also, Dave Gibbons writes the Green, draws the Green Lantern Corps story. Oh, he does. He draws them for the man oh, who has everything. Oh, he does. He draws no, Watchmen. No, no, no. The Green Lantern Corps stories are drawn by the guy who draws League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, those. Are, oh, you're, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Those but you're right. He does yet. draw for the man who loves everything. You're right. you're right. That's great. That's your favorite Superman story, right? It is. It's and it, and 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 for anyone else to have a Superman story that is not that is their favorite is just incorrect. Have you read All Star Superman? I have. So, if you if you had read All Star Superman and still had held this held this opinion, I'd have to fight with you. But the the opinion that Mark Wade has is. All-Star Superman is the greatest Superman story. I know I've read them all. Okay, Can that's I? Mark Waits. And I and have by, to tell by you... The way, and by the way, I would also say, we we're just talking, going back to Daredevil for yeah. a second, which is where they started. Mark Waits' run on Daredevil, which I just started reading recently, is just... Did I give you my hardcover? No. 
All right. Say, Satan gave me his paperbacks. All right. Oh, I, 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 mean, I, I gave it. my hardcover to somebody. You didn't give it to me. Anyway. Me. But those, by the way, they're, they're just fantastic. Have you read Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aha? I have. They're it, awesome. You don't think it's also as... It's, I think that they're, they're pretty comparably good, both of those two. Yeah, yeah the, I agree. I the thing is, like, Chris Sam Nee, who's the, who's the... He won the Eisner for Best Artist with, on, on Daredevil. Um, it's funny, Chris Sam Nee, he's on my short list of artists who anything that they draw, I buy. Sure. And I, I know Chris Sam Nee from comics no one's ever heard of. He did, like, a two-issue stretch on Checkmate. He did, like... He did a... You're like shaking your head, right? No, no, no. I'm not shaking my head. I'm shaking my head is because I'm, I'm, I'm lamenting a time yeah. where I was so immersed in comics yep. that I would be like, I would have the same, yep. like I'd be like, you've got to check out this Chris Sprouse guy who just did one issue of Legionnaires. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Legionnaires. <laughs> yeah. so, anyway, so Chris Samney, he does like two issues I just, of Checkmate being that immersed about this French girl. Like, I, I don't even know her name. Like Mademoiselle something. Uh, and then he does like... A short run on Greg Rucka's um, Queen and uh, Country. Queen and Country. And I'm just like, this guy's That's funny. Just... I've actually, I actually know him from yeah. that run. I'm just like, this guy's just the best. I wish he drew comics that anyone would buy. Right? So he's actually Wade's primary artist on Daredevil now. But when Chris Samney came on, most of the reviewers were like, well, Chris Samney is not as good as Javier Rodriguez. Or Chris Samney is not as good as Marcos Martin. And the answer is... Mark Wade has some pretty good artists on Daredevil. Uh, Marcos Martinez is like probably my favorite active artist. It's a, it's a weird thing. Just you love Marcos Martin, don't you? I think I do. I'm not He's sure. He's back girl year one. I, I haven't read it. Oh, okay. But here's the thing about the thing about comic book artists is comic book artists. It's like it's like uh, it's like sabermetric baseball. Yeah. It's like you can be the best at something. Like you could be the best guy at cross hatching or the best guy at drawing splash pages. It doesn't matter. That's not what's essential to making great comics. And and this goes all the way goes back to again the Frank Miller Daredevil yeah. stuff. It is about effectively telling a story, and it it does not matter if it's the glossiest slickest. It really has to be the most effective. Well, you got to be able to deliver the information. And, and and it's not you know and you know you could be like a seven in all the categories yeah. versus being a ten in two of the categories. And I'll always go with the guy who's a seven. It's, it's funny you say that. So I knew Brian Bendis when he was in art school, right? So Brian Bendis worked at a comic book store that I would just hang out at after school every day. And we were like, oh, this guy's going to be a big thing. But we were living in Cleveland. We didn't know he was actually going to be a big thing. And he was a very good illustrator, right? So he said, he said, the best comic book illustrator in the world is Mark Bagley, okay? That's what he said. And we were like, who the hell is Mark Bagley, right? Comic book talent search winner. So, yeah, he's like, he won the Marvel talent search. Yeah for Spider-Man, and if you'd ever seen his Spider-Man pages, you would think he's the best comic book artist in the world, right? So it's funny that now that Bendis is the most power in the world, he chooses Mark Bagley to be his primary collaborator on Spider-Man, right? But Bendis himself is a very good illustrator. But he's famous as an illustrator for just basically photocopying photographs and sticking them in pages. He asks, like, well, why would he do this? He actually knows how to draw. He went to art school. And Bendis said, as a comic book illustrator, I found that it was never as important to suggest action than to just depict it. I thought that was a, an interesting thing to say. By, and by the way, my argument for the best yeah. is Amanda Connor. I thought you loved Los Bros Hernandez. I mean, just in terms of, I, we're, we're, I do. I'm not, I, I'm not even going to go outside of the, 
the vein. But I'm saying, in terms of people drawing superhero comics, you love Amanda Connor. I think Amanda Connor is tens all across the board. I think she 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 tells a story. She draws incredibly sexy women and powerful men. She draws. Uh, she she's a great cartoonist. Like hey, she you just love does the cartoony everything. Style. She does everything. She's she's she to me is is the, is the pinnacle. And she's also an awesome person. So, I mean, like, I'm, I, I like Amanda Connor okay. She's not my favorite artist. Uh, my favorite ar- artist is probably... It's tough, man. Well, all of my favorite artist's names, for the most part, end in vowels, though. Sure. So that should tell you something. Okay. All right. <laughs> I got to type. All right. So, let me just do a, do a quick checklist here. Yeah. Magic. Mike Flores deck building. Pogo sticks. Pigeon pants. Basketball, specifically Cavaliers, comic books, uh, Hawkeye, Amanda Connor. Yep, yep, that's a Top 8 Magic Podcast. All right, that's a Top 8 Magic Podcast. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.